0: have your Bibles, you can turn to Malachi 4. Malachi 4. I attempted to take a nap this afternoon. I I had looked at my stuff for tonight, attempted to take a nap, and I was laying there in the recliner with my, you know, just trying to fall asleep, and all of a sudden I just felt myself spinning and I I opened my eyes and Charlotte was spinning my recliner around in circles. So she obviously didn't want me to have a nap, but, um, we made it here tonight and, uh, we're going to wrap up the book of Malachi tonight. And I have enjoyed this study. Uh, I had never taught through a, a prophet, minor prophet before. And, uh, I hope it's been helpful to you, but at the very least, it's been helpful to me. So I'll be selfish and say that I've enjoyed it. And, uh, I think there's a lot in these, these little books that are is still relevant for our day and age, um, and we thank, thank the Lord for that. But let's, let's read it, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll um, jump into it together. Starting in verse number one, it says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts of Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would use your word tonight to encourage our hearts, um, to strengthen us, to draw us back to uh, your faithfulness to us. And God, I Thank you for the song that we just sang, that even in the depths of our despair and our sinfulness, God, your mercy was more and your mercy still is more. We Thank you that it's new every morning, that it never runs out. And certainly as we look at this message from Malachi to your people, God, this is what you were telling them, that you, you desired for them to come back to you. So God, use your word tonight to, to do a great work in our hearts that would encourage us to follow you more faithfully Uh, even than we ever have before. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If we were to go back to chapter 1, we'd be reminded that the book of Malachi started with a burden, a burden from the Lord. And this burden, uh, the idea of this burden had to do with the unfaithfulness of the people of God. Uh, We know that it wasn't Malachi's burden alone, but it was a burden that God gave Malachi to bear in some regards to, to reveal to the children of Israel and ultimately, it was God's burden that he was bearing, that he, he was disheartened or saddened by the, the way that the children of Israel had wandered away. It was they who had left, not him. It was they who had sinned, not him. It was them who had forsaken his ways, not he who had forsaken them. And throughout the book, we see in these six disputations that, that God, through Malachi, is calling them back. This is what's wrong. This is where you've gone astray. And this is how you can correct Your ways to get back on the path that I want you to be on. As I was thinking about this, I started to think in my own life of the times that God has had to call me back. Isn't that true for each of us? Um, That there has been something in our lives at some point where we have begun to wander, and maybe it was in the privacy of our own heart and nobody else ever even saw it, Uh, but God faithfully drew us back to himself. Why? Because that's what God does. He's a faithful God, And he calls us back to understand his faithfulness time and time again. So as we look at the the writing of Malachi and we see the specific things that he was dealing with in that day, we understand that that they can all be applied in some way even to what we do in this day, where we find ourselves in this day. Uh, But even if if we don't find a specific thing that matches up with us in the book of Malachi, uh, we understand that there are many other ways that God has called us back to himself or he's drawn us back to himself. And for that, we should be thankful. As Malachi wrote this letter, uh, he wouldn't have been a popular guy, uh, but he was in good company. Um, All the prophets were hated. Most of the prophets uh, were looked at very negatively in their day because they were revealing a problem um, that the people had that God was pointing out. And nobody likes to have a problem pointed out in their lives, do you? I don't. I like to think that I'm on the right path even when I'm not on the right path. And yet God is faithful to point those things out in our lives. And so While Malachi wasn't in good company, uh, or or was in good company, uh, we see that that he was in the same company as as Jesus himself, who was accused and and rejected of men. And uh, that's what Malachi found in his life as well. And so as Malachi has given these six disputations, uh, and as he's answered answered the questions of the people, uh, he now goes to close the book with a word of warning. And this is the final word. And the people of God didn't understand this. They didn't know that this was the last prophet that was going to speak to them. They didn't know that this was the last time that God was going to make his way known to them. And God would be silent for some 400 years. But in this last chapter, in these last verses, God gives them something to hope towards. Certainly the message is dark. Um, especially in verse 1, when God talks about what's going to happen to the wicked and how they're going to be destroyed. But if you look into verses 2 and 3, uh, God really gives them a glimmer of hope that for those who are faithful, there is good things waiting for them. And then he gives them a sign to look for, that one was going to come in the likeness of Elijah. And though these people wouldn't see it in their day, if they were faithful to pass the truth on to their children, then one day their children or their children's children would see these things come to fruition, and they would be reminded that the word of God is true, that God keeps his promises, that God says what he's going to do. And so as we look at this final word tonight, as we look at the closing um, verses of the Old Testament, uh, I, I pray that we would look at it with thankful hearts because we have both the completed Old Testament and the New Testament, that we see that God's word did come true. And what does that give us hope for? god's word will come true in the future as we look uh, to some of the events even that are mentioned in this passage that god's word will come true and we can we can be hopeful in that and so in this final word malachi does a great job of reminding them once again about the faithfulness of god he calls them to walk in that faithfulness and he reminds them that when they would do that if they would do that they would find true peace verse one says this again for behold the day cometh that Shall burn as an oven, and all the proud yea, and all that, that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. now, I appreciate Dave handled the last section of chapter three, and I appreciate the way that, that he handled that, and really uh, there 's a lot of uh, thoughts that really chapter four is just a continuation of chapter three, that maybe that division didn 't even need to be there because the message really seems to just carry on from one point to the next. Uh, But we had to break it up somehow, and this worked out really well. So as as Malachi gives these final words, he says the word, Behold, Uh, Malachi is is getting ready to unload on them one more thing, one more warning, one more uh, observation, one more word from the Lord, and he wants to catch their attention. And so he says this word, Behold, pay attention. And what do we need to pay attention to? Why do we need to pay attention Malachi says, because the day of the Lord, or the day cometh, which is another way of saying the day of the Lord. And when that day comes, uh, that day shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all they that do wickedly shall be stubble. Uh, We saw this earlier in Malachi, who shall stand uh, when the Lord comes? Who shall stand in that day? And what was the answer? Nobody. Nobody in their, own, uh, in their own will, living their own life, will stand in that day. But even back in, in the previous chapters, God gave them hope. And so what Malachi is doing in verse 1 is calling them to understand um, that if, if they continue in their wickedness, and for those who, who never follow God at all, they, they never have a heart that follows after God, they need to understand that judgment is coming, and this judgment is severe. He says, when the day cometh, the day shall burn as an oven... And all the proud and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And so Malachi wanted them to remember that judgment was coming. And what were they living as if wasn't coming? Judgment. They, they were thinking kind of like the accusation that's made in Second Peter, that things are just continuing as always have been. So what do we have to worry about? What do we have to fear? And Malachi reminding them that, that there is a day coming uh, when the wicked shall be burnt up and all that's going to be left is stubble. It's interesting the... the The illustration that he uses here, uh, for the wicked, the heat is a negative thing, but for the righteous, in verses 2 and 3, the heat is a healing thing. For the wicked, this heat is so great that it's going to destroy them, that there's going to be nothing left. And it's not Malachi that's saying this, but as we've said, uh, Malachi uses this term, the Lord of hosts, some 25 times in this short book, and he wants to remind them that it's God who's speaking here, the Lord of hosts, the one who has ability to do everything and as he's speaking, he wants them to understand that if they continue in their way, when this day comes and when uh, the, the wrath of God burns as an oven and the wicked are burnt up, there's nothing that's going to be left of the wicked. And so Malachi was calling them to repentance, right? He's calling them to understand the error of their way and to come back where God, to be where God wanted them to be. What, what do you find interesting about verse number one? If you were giving somebody your closing words, um, would we do it in this way? Probably not. We'd probably try to butter them up, right? But what do you find interesting about verse number one is, as in, in relationship to the rest of the letter of Malachi? Bruce. I've always
1: word stubble, You know, a lot of those who oppose Christ think they something. Yeah. And it's not a log. It's not a tree. It's stubble. Yeah. Yep. Be yeah. So it's just, yeah. It, you know, it's, it's not like a like long burning thing. It's a sudden judgment and it's going to be over. As far as the physical, right. you know that like there's an eternal. Yeah. Thing, but that physical judgment, all those things something, <laughs> A little piece of stubble that's going to flash like that yep. you know,
0: be done with. Yep. Good thoughts. Anybody else? Dave?
2: Mm. the wicked and the righteous. Like, there's like there, there there isn't any anything that separates us. And first I think he offer offers hope right before we got to these verses and said so it couldn't be any more different. Yeah. there, there couldn't be any more different outcome for uh, the righteous versus versus the wicked. Yeah. Um, and like you said, it's not mincing any words.
1: Yeah.
0: Straight to the point. Um, a lot of people will use this verse um, to support the idea that hell is not eternal, that it's this idea of annihilation, that when the, the wicked are judged, they'll be burnt up. And, and this is one of the proof texts that they would use for that. But I think we have another, enough other texts in the Word of God that show the eternality of hell and the eternality of God's judgment to say that... Malachi is just using an illustration here. He's saying that it's like you throw something in a hot oven and that thing is destroyed instantly. That's how the judgment of God is going to fall. It's, it's going to come in a moment's notice and they're not going to be prepared for it, so there's no way they're going to be able to stand against it. And this goes to what he was talking about previously when he asked the question, who shall stand in that day? Nobody can. Nobody can stand in their own strength in that day. And so it's not an argument that, that would prove this idea of annihilation uh, but it's pointing to a future event that would take place uh, when these people would be judged for the way that they lived, for the things that they had done. And the, the point is to prepare yourselves for that day, to, to make sure that you're, you're taking serious this idea that judgment is going to come, and judgment is going to start with the people of God. And that's who Malachi is writing to, people that had been given, in some ways, a special privilege Um, to understand God in a way that, that at least in the beginning, the rest of the nations couldn't understand. And God's saying, hey, you need to prepare yourselves uh, because that day is coming. That day of judgment is coming, and it's going to burn like an oven, and it's going to be consumed, and there's going to be nothing left when that judgment falls. Any other thoughts on verse number one? Any? Yeah, So God said he would never flood the world again. He would never judge. No more water. No more water water floods. And uh, that that was God's promise. That's the rainbow in the sky. Um, But we know another judgment day is coming. And so the Old Testament, you know, the flood is really an illustration of God's power against the wickedness of the world. And really it should be used to capture people's attention. Um, And moving forward from that, um, God speaks often through his prophets that a judgment was coming. Even Jesus himself speaks of that idea uh, of the judgment that would come one day. Good thought. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, getting into the idea of the emotions of God, that's an interesting thing, because while I think God does have emotions, he's not dictated like, by his emotions like we are. We're very emotionally driven people. God's not going to judge the earth because he's having a bad day, right? Ultimately, the earth gets judged, the wicked get judged and destroyed because they've sinned against a holy and just God. And so his, his emotions aren't the thing that's driving this. Does it grieve the heart of God? I, I think it does. I think the death of the wicked does grieve God's heart because he understands their their fate. He understands their destiny. But it doesn't keep him from doing what is just. Um, and that's, again, a hard thing for us to comprehend uh, in our world. Any other thoughts? Bruce? I
1: think that's why Jesus had to come. A man. Yeah. Because he understands yeah.
0: our weaknesses. Definitely. You
1: know, I know we've got one God. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. Any other thoughts? All right, we'll keep moving in verses two and three. He says, so the, the verse one is very dark. It's uh, very negative in the sense that uh, the, the outcome of the wicked is, is going to be destruction. But he, he changes gears in verses two and three and says, but unto you that fear my name, shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings, and he shall, ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. And so, while the first picture was very graphic in nature, God saying, you're going to be consumed, you're going to be destroyed, you will not be able to stand in that day, the second picture is also very graphic. As we said, the heat in the oven in verse number 1 was to destroy, but the heat from the sun in verses 2 and 3, what does that bring? Healing. It brings complete restoration. It brings a, 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 a completion of the relationship. We, we are blessed now to know God in the way that we know him, but when the son of righteousness comes, we're going to know him in a way that we've never known him before. And all the brokenness that we face, all the, the trials that we still deal with in this life, one day those are going to be wiped away because the sun of righteousness, the heat from that sun of righteousness is going to renew us and restore us and bring us back to here where he wants us to be. This idea of healing in his wings, that idea of wings, really, it's better translated to like the rays of the sun. And how far do the rays of the sun stretch? As far as as we can tell, right? And that's talking about the, the type of healing that will come through the sun of righteousness. I know it's S-U-N there speaking of the illustration of the sun in the sky, but it's ultimately ultimately an illustration of Jesus Christ, who is the son of righteousness, S-O-N, and uh, the healing that he's going to bring with him. And So Malachi says you need to understand, as, as Dave said in chapter 3, there's a, a distinct difference between the righteous and the wicked, and unfortunately, much of the church wants to blend the righteous and the wicked together, but what does Jesus so often talk about? That there's going to be a time of separation. The sheep and the goats will will be separated. There will be a day when, when the, the wicked are judged for their wickedness and the righteous are judged for their motives and, and the reason that they did the things that they did. Two different judgments are going to take place. Uh, one is, is for destruction. Uh, one is ultimately for healing as we enter into his presence. And so both are a graphic picture, picture as we think about the son of righteousness in the healing that is in his wings. And he says, when the son of righteousness comes... He says, ye, speaking to the righteous, shall grow up as calves of the stall. Have you ever driven by a farmer's field and you see new calves that are just kind of prancing around in the field? That's what he's talking about here. Those baby calves that are so full of life and so full of energy, Uh, those baby calves that are are bottle fed and when they see that bottle coming, how excited do they get? They're, They're overjoyed with excitement that their next meal is on the way. And that's what Malachi is saying here. He says, you that are righteous, you won't go through this judgment that the wicked are going to face, but rather you're going to to be ultimately healed through the son of righteousness and you're going to grow up as calves of the stall that are bounding through the field like like little deer that have just been born who are finding their legs for the first time. Uh, I don't know about you. When I see that, it brings great joy to my heart. What kind of joy do you think it's going to bring the father when he sees his people brought back to him? in full righteousness, in full restoration. It's going to be a joyous occasion for us, but it's going to be a joyous occasion for him as well. He says, so you're going to grow up as calves in the stall. And then he says, you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. A lot of people take this to to think that we're going to be the conquering ones over the wicked in in an earthly war, so to speak. But really, we're not the conquering ones. Jesus is the conquering one. We come with Christ. And so this idea of them being uh, ashes under our feet basically is saying the victory is already won. And we're just trampling on ground that has been won in a victorious way. We're not doing the conquering, but we're, we're reaping the benefits of the conqueror, right? We're reaping the benefits of the one who conquered in our place. And who's gonna do this? Well, it's none other than the Lord of hosts, the one who has all might and all ability Ability and all power and all strength. And so while the wicked were promised destruction, while this was given to show that those who continue in their wicked ways will not stand in that day when when God brings judgment to the earth, He also gives the second picture to reveal the hope that is waiting for the righteous. And it reminds me of this truth that that I don't have to conquer this world, right? I, I don't have to win victories in this world. I just need to trust in the one who's already won the victory. And so many people get discouraged, and, and I'll admit, myself at times get discouraged over the way that the world is going. But friends, that's not my battle to fight. God is the one who's going to bring ultimate judgment. What's my job to be? To be a light in darkness, to, to show the truth to the world around me that, that there's a way to have hope, that, hey, that there is a difference between the wicked and the righteous, and I'm not righteous because of me, I'm righteous because of God because of what he has done in my life, and to share that idea of righteousness with them. And so as, as uh, Malachi is giving uh, these two pictures, he's calling them to understand um, the benefit that is waiting for them if they'll continue in the way that God desires uh, for them to walk, if they'll continue to have faith in him. And so as we're healed by the son of righteousness, we'll go forth as calves of the stall, speaking of the new life and the healing, who are being fed from the ultimate source of of food that will grow in the way that he wants us to grow, and then we'll trample the place that the wicked used to walk, and they'll simply be ashes under our feet. And this goes back to what he talked about earlier of how, how no one can stand in the judgment day unless there's one who stands in their place. And that's the hope that we have. Thoughts on verses two and three? Dave. mm Yeah, That's a good thought. I was talking to Kelly earlier. Our kids want a dog, and I don't want a dog. I, I just don't want a dog. And we were laying, and Brianna and I were laying in bed the other night, and she's actually on the kid's side in this. She wants a dog. And I said, just remember, Brianna, when the dog needs to go out at two in the morning, I'm not getting up. That's, that's on you. And she said, yeah, that's true. I don't know if I want a dog anymore. And uh, we were talking about little dogs, because that's the type of dog that we would probably get if we got one. And he was talking. To, Noah was talking about how to train the dog to go to the bathroom in the woods. And Kelly said, "Well, you got to take the dog to the woods to train it. can't leave that little dog out there alone, or something can attack it." And I was reminded that we had friends in Virginia who their little dog was on their back porch, and a hawk swooped down and took that dog away and flew off with that their little dog. And it's like they're close to my puppy, right? Like such a sad story. Um, but as as Dave is talking about here, um, that, that the picture of the calves frolicking through the field is the freeness that they have because all dangers, toils, and snares are gone. Um, There will will be a day where we don't have to be sober and be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, will be defeated completely. And he has been defeated as Jesus died on the cross, but he will be defeated one day as he's cast uh, into the lake of fire forever. And that's the hope that, that Malachi is writing with here, that there's something better waiting for you. And so live like that day's coming. Live like your hope is an actual thing. Not, not, I hope it's not going to rain tonight so the kids can play in the bounce house, but it's resting in this confident assurance that one day everything is going to be made new and, and we will live in peace as God rules and reigns in a way um, that we have never experienced before. So great thought there, Dave. It sparked my story about a dog being carried away by a hawk. I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> anybody else any thoughts on verses two and three (laughs) no dogs yet at our house fingers crossed never will there be one um but that's another story for another day all right verse number four then so he he gives them the distinction between the the unrighteous or the wicked and the righteous he he shows their ends and the difference in their ends and then he he gives an admonition in verse number four he says remember ye the law Of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all of Israel with my statutes, with the statutes and judgments. So these people could have been on a high note, right? Like, oh, we're the righteous. Everything's going to go well. We can just do whatever we want because everything's going to go well for us. Well, that's what sparked this letter to begin with that they were just doing whatever they wanted, right? That they were offering their offerings in the way that they wanted, they were treating their, their wives in the way that they wanted. They, they were def- def- defaning the temple in the way that they wanted. They were doing all of these things according to their desires and their, their wishes. And so Malachi didn't want them to think, or God didn't want them to think, that just because you have the hope of the future doesn't mean that you can live however you want. What does he say? Remember the law of Moses. If, if you are truly a righteous person, remember what I gave you on Mount Sinai when Moses was given the Ten Commandments. Those things haven't changed to this day. Those things are still the way that God desires for you to walk. Those are still the things that God desires for you to do. And so, so Malachi says, remember the law of Moses, my servant. This was not a command that Moses gave to the people. He says, which I commanded unto him in Horeb. For who? For all of Israel. Not just for one generation. Not just for a specific people in a specific time but for all of Israel, that they would walk in my ways, that they would remember my statutes, and they would do my judgments. I I love reading Psalm uh, 119 simply because it talks about uh, the, the word of God in some form in all but like two verses. And what is that Psalm written for? To remind us of the importance of what God has said. I wonder, do we value what God has said? I think there's times that we do. But there's also times where we value what we say more than what God says. Um, how do I know that's true? Because it's true, it's, it's true as we're children in regards to the words of our parents. I can remember as a kid there were times that I valued what my parents said, um, especially if it was a promise that something good was going to come. But there was also many times where I disregarded what my parents said. Why? Because I wanted to do something else. And as that is a simple illustration, um, it's still prevalent in our lives today as believers with our Heavenly Father. That there are times that we just don't value His words, that we don't remember the things that He has said to us. I love as, as the thought of them entering into a season of, of silence from God for 400 years, I love what um, David Guzik says. He says, We never need to despair when God seems silent, because what he has already said is rich enough if we will only remember. Everyone wants a new revelation from God, right? Everyone wants to hear from God, oh, what does God want me to do in this moment? Well, it's probably right here. If we'll take the time to look at it and, and study it and, and allow him to guide our hearts with his word. We don't, we don't say today that God is silent because God speaks very loudly through his word. Uh, The question question that we have to ask is, are are we uh, remembering it in the way that he wants us to remember it? So why did he say to remember the law of Moses? Well, as I said, because in part, they didn't know that silence was coming. This was the last letter they were going to get. And so what did they need to pay attention to? What God had already revealed to them. What do we need to pay attention to? What God has revealed to us. And as I said, so much of the, the Christian world even It's sad, but we get hung up on these ideas of new revelation or new words from God. Friend, there are no new words from God in this day and age. We have what he has given us, and that's what we need to cleave to. Now, does God guide us and direct us through his spirit? Yes, but what does his spirit always coincide with? His word, his revealed word. And so as they were called to remember, we too are called to remember the things that God has given us in his word. Any thoughts on verse number four? That's uh,
1: the you know, we, we think of the law oh we're New Testament. Yeah. But I like what Paul said to Timothy, but we know that the law is good. Mm. No. New
0: testament. absolutely and that's that goes along with Jesus' words i haven't come to destroy the law of the prophets i've come to fulfill them but my fulfill, fulfillment of them still doesn't do away with them i fulfill them on your behalf why so that so that you can be forgiven but you're still called to walk in the statutes that god has given uh, even in the old testament so good thought there anybody else Yes, Justin. This might confuse me this is this is foreshadowing
1: people of the Old Testament based on the coming of Jesus and revelation whatever. Yep. So based on the Old Testament people and their idea of salvation for Jesus, how confusing would this have been? Or would this have been
0: straightforward given everything in the world. I think it would have been straightforward because while they they were given glimpses of one that was coming, when he came, they still didn't recognize him. And so they were called to be faithful to what had been revealed to them and what had been revealed to them, at the very least, the law. At the very minimum, God had said, this is my word and this is what I want you to walk in. How were they to walk in that? They were to walk by faith, understanding that their faith in God, um, what does it say about Abraham? Abraham believed God, he followed God, and what was it accounted to him as? As righteousness. And so it was it was that faith that caused them to act in the Old Testament that was ultimately pointing to Christ. Um, but if we were back then and we said that Jesus was coming to die on a cross for your sins and three days later rise again, they wouldn't have understood what we were talking about. They they wouldn't have gotten that picture. Um, but their call was to be faithful to what God had revealed to them in that day. And that's that's the battle between the two testaments, right? Um, and the, the struggle is. So many, want to, so many want to live in an Old Testament way uh, to receive a New Testament faith, but we're not called to, to keep the law to be saved. What are we called to do? To trust in the one who fulfilled the law. And that's, that's the difference. And so um, I don't think it would have been confusing because they, they knew one was coming, but as I said, even when he came, they misunderstood to some degree who he was and what he was coming for. Um, so their, their job was really to trust, to have faith in God, and to live how God wanted them to live, and that faith would be counted to them as righteousness, understanding that they didn't please God through their works, um, they pleased God through faith, just as we, we do today. So, does that make sense? It does. And I was just, is this the reason why people the Yeah. Well, even, even, we're going to talk about that in a minute, as, as it talks about the one who is coming in the spirit of Elijah. That's what the New Testament references it as. Uh, and and uh, he, was, he was a picture of the one who was the forerunner of Christ. And so um, that was one of the signs that they had to look forward to that one was coming one day. And John the Baptist had a very impactful ministry, um, it was very fruitful. Uh, but the point of his ministry was to point people to, to Christ. And so that's why God gave them that hope to look for the one who would point to the one. Uh, who was the one who God had promised, if that makes sense. There's a lot of ones in there, I know. (laughs) Any other thoughts? All right, we'll move on to verse number five. So he says, remember, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I, I commanded unto him for all of Israel. Remember the statutes and the judgments. And then he says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so as, as Malachi continues on here, he gives them a charge to remember the law that God had given them, but he also gives them a glimmer of hope as they were to look for a sign. Now, the, the Jewish people in the Old and New Testament, they always wanted a sign, right? That was actually one of the downfalls in the New Testament, is that they would rather have had a sign than to accept the one who all the signs were pointing to. They, they were forsaking Jesus because they just wanted another sign. We, we want something else to look at, to hope in, and to hope towards. And so God says, I'm going to give you a sign. Behold, I'll, I'll send you before this day, I'm going to send you, the prophet, uh, send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, as we talked earlier uh, in this study, uh, as, as the prophets referenced future events, they didn't have a specific timeline of how things were going to take place. God didn't reveal to them that okay, John the Baptist is going to come and Jesus is going to come and then 4000, 6000, 2000 years later, that's when the end of the world is going to be. All they knew was that that this was the beginning of the end. And as the New Testament writers wrote, what did they write with this mindset that we're in the last days? Why? Because Elijah has come. John the Baptist has come. Jesus has come. We're in the last days. Peter wrote with that mindset. Paul wrote with that mindset. And they're not wrong. Why? Because all of those things were ushering in the last days. And guess what? We still live in the last days. We we live in the last days before Jesus returns. And so we can't look at, at this and say, well, Jesus hasn't come back yet. Therefore, everything's a lie. Because what are we basing the future off of? The past. And everything that God said would come true in the past, it came true. And so what is our hope for the future? that that will come true as well. So it's not a, a whimsical hope that, that we're wishing these things will come to be, but we take the track record of God in the past and we apply it to the promises that he's given in the present and we believe that those future things will become a reality. And so God says that Elijah will come and he, he, you know, he, he calls out Elijah specifically. Uh, in the New Testament, Luke 1.17 says this, and he shall go before him in the spirit and, a, and the power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, uh, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So God says you need to remember the word that I've spoken to you, that I gave to Moses in the law, and you need to look forward to this day when one in the likeness of Elijah will come, and that's going to be a sign to you that things are getting ready to shift again. They, they were going from this Old Testament way of living um, to having to receive the Savior of the world, and and this would have been, you know, for us, it's it's like, how did you miss it? How did you not understand that Jesus was who he claimed to be? Well, how many things do we miss? And we have the completed revelation of the Word of God. How many things did the disciples miss, and they walked with him? I was talking to Judy about that before church. You know, we give ourselves a hard time because we doubt at times, yet the disciples had Jesus physically with them, and they still didn't get it. So, don't give yourself a free pass, but understand you're not going to see everything. You're not going to understand or get everything. And so, the, the promise was that God would send one. He would send Elijah the prophet, and he would come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Again, this is kind of like the Olivet Discourse. What was the purpose of the Olivet Discourse? To get people prepared for the day of the Lord. It wasn't to figure out when Jesus was coming, it was to remind them what? That Jesus was coming he's coming. And so this was given in that same way with the same same heart behind it that you need to prepare. And this is the sign that you need to look for um, because I'm going to make good on my promise. Any thoughts on verse five? Judy. I'm confused. <laughs> Elijah, didn't he come a long time before Malachi? Yep. And so... They 're saying that, that he's going to come again, so God is saying that there's going to want, be one who came in the likeness of Elijah, and that's the reference in Luke seventeen that one will come in the, the spirit and power of elias. it's not talking about Elijah coming again. Some people think it is a reference to Elijah coming again in the book of Revelation. but I think Luke 117 declares for us because it coincides with the message of Malachi with the the promise that are are given at his coming that it's really just one who's coming in the Spirit. Elijah ministered in a time um, where there was a lot of doubt, where there was a lot of confusion, where there was a lot of chaos. And he came to bring clarity to those people who lived in that day. And that's, that's why John the Baptist came as well, to prepare a people for the Lord, to, to uh, dissolve the confusion and the chaos that one was coming. And so it's not saying that Elijah was going to come again. It's, I, I don't even like to say this. It's, it's kind of worded poorly Really, it's talking about that one's going to come in the spirit of Elijah as a prophet, and that's why we say that Elijah was—or I'm sorry, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets because he came uh, in, a, in a promised way. He came proclaiming truth before Jesus came on the scene, pointing to the one who was coming. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> The, not not the spirit in the sense of like body, soul, and spirit, but he came in the same way, with the same okay. purpose, if that makes sense, so that nice. okay <laughs> <laughs> Justin yeah yeah. Yeah, it does. And then Peter proclaims, what? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what does Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is basically saying, Peter, you just said something you don't even understand. Um, and then Jesus went on to reveal who he was in his fullness uh, through his life and ministry. Good thoughts. Anybody else? All right, verse number six. When he comes, he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And and this goes along uh, with what we saw in Luke 117, that John the Baptist was going to come and go before him in the power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the father to children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And and really, you know, we we could take this verse out of context and say well, what this is saying is that since Jesus came, uh, every parent and every child is going to get along and there's going to be no division at all. What did Jesus say? That I've come to set father against son and mother against daughter, right? Uh, there, there is going to be division. But what he's talking about here uh, is more than this idea of a reconciliation of families, but in, in fullness, it's talking about how God's children their hearts would be turned to their heavenly father in a a way that they didn't even understand needed to happen. It's it's the idea of turning the mind to look to God um, as, as the patriarchs did. And so as we think of the fathers, who's the father of many nations? Abraham. Who did he believe in? And it was accounted to righteousness. He believed God. And so ultimately it's turning the hearts of the children, of the father of many nations, back to... The ultimate Father, which is God. And in a practical way, does does believing all these things turn division into reconciliation? It does, even in a physical way. But in a spiritual way, it's talking about something much greater um, than that. And it's a promise that these people had to look forward to because they were living in a time of division. They they were living in a time of, of great difficulty. And what was their hope? Their hope was in the one who was coming. And what would that one who was coming do? He would right all wrongs. He would reconcile things that were broken and put together um, those things that had been found in, in turmoil. And so this book ends uh, kind of in a roller coaster ride, right? He says, The day's coming, and, and all the wicked and all the unrighteous, they're going to burn, burn up, and nothing is going to be left of them, not, not root nor branch. But, good news, for you that are righteous, guess what? There's healing in the Son of Righteousness, in his rings, in the rays of that sun that stretch to places that our minds can't even comprehend. There's healing in the wings of the Son of Righteousness, and you're going to be victorious, and you're going to live great and joyful lives. But you need to remember the words that I gave Moses. Until that day, you need to live in a way that shows that you are serious about your relationship with me. And I give you a promise that I'm going to send one before me. He's going to do great things. But ultimately, he's pointing to the one who will come to do the greatest thing, which is Jesus. Um, As you think about the Old Testament ending this way, what are your thoughts? Does it end with hope? It does. Uh, So the prophets often get a bad rap for being just negative books written about the sins of the wicked. Um, but I would say that, that Malachi, uh, as a minor prophet, he writes in a very positive way. We can look at the Old Testament and say it's, it's all these commands to do, 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 but what was God wanting them to do? He was wanting them to act like his children. He was wanting them to act as he would enable them to act if they gave their lives to him. And so he, he, he really ends the book with a proclamation of hope that that I'm, I promise you better things are coming. The one that the Old Testament has been pointing to for all these years, there's one that's going to come before him. And when he comes, get ready, because that means that the Savior of the world is also on the cusp of coming as well. Be ready and be prepared. Any thoughts on, on how the Old Testament ends here? Annie? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. He's, he's saying just be steady, right? Be, be stable in your walk. And part of the reason he was writing is because they weren't stable. They were doing what they wanted, when they wanted, how they wanted, and God was calling them back to his ways. And isn't that much of, of the epistles in the New Testament? Hey, you guys have messed up. You need to come back, right? Uh, there's a, a thing floating around on Facebook. What would it look like if Paul wrote a letter to the American churches today? It'd be a pretty scathing letter right, that the, the error of our ways, he would have a lot to correct, um, but we already have enough to correct this because we have this, the completed word of God. Uh, what can we glean from this ending? I think Annie touched on it, but any other thoughts? What can we glean from the way that the Old Testament ends? Dave. Dave.
1: Yeah. And this was, the, this was the line, right? This is, this is the group.
2: This is, this is the people. Um, we're having all kinds of problems. Um, and I just think, too, just saying, just focusing on the fact that there are those who are, who are dedicated, those who are remembering God. God's remembering them. And it's happening. And I'm, I'm really glad they were there. Yeah, the, for sure.
0: And isn't that just a, just what we see in so many of the Old Testament stories of captivity and, and war? What did God always have? He always had a remnant of people who were faithful and believing. And they may not have been in the majority. In fact, most of the time they were in the minority. But because of their faithfulness, um, these things were passed from generation to generation under the providence of God. And that's why we're here today. That's because of, because of those people who continued on. That's why we're here today. Any other thoughts? Yes, Justin. I just thought of an interesting irony about the process here is that at best, these people at this time thought that Jesus was just another guy who came to prophesize about the guy who will come. Yeah. Himself. And in essence, in reality, he was the guy yeah. who came to tell them about himself. Yeah. I that which I was really yeah, that is. I like that thought. Anybody else? Annie. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. And that, that is what much of the beginning of the book is pointing at, is the error of the priest, right? They had misguided the people, maybe not even so much in, in what they were teaching them, but what they were allowing them. And isn't that even true in the realm of parenting as well, that sometimes we might not teach our children to do wrong with the words that we say, but sometimes we teach our children to do wrong in what we allow them to get away with. Complacency in, in leadership is a breeding ground for, for disaster. And that's what was taking place here. There was disaster because the priests were complacent. Anybody else? So the question we're left with is, did they wait? And Dave kind of answered this, but turn to Luke chapter 2, and uh, we'll, we'll get all Christmassy for a moment, but Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, um, one of my favorite stories, um, because it speaks to what God told them to do, to wait for the one who is coming. And Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 25, the Bible says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. For years, years, these people were waiting, waiting for the one that they'd heard about who was going to come. And God blessed this man of faithfulness, Simeon and, and Anna, the prophetess, right? He blessed them both that they were privileged to understand something that in ways Mary and Joseph didn't even understand. And he took that baby in his arms and said, I have I've seen the Lord's Christ. I've seen salvation. And what was he able to do in that moment? Depart in peace. And that depart in peace doesn't mean depart the temple in peace. He departed this world in peace. Why? Because he had seen the promised one. So was there a remnant that was waiting? Simeon learned this information from someone. Somebody passed it on to his parents, to their parents, and probably to another generation before that. And Simeon was the recipient or the the one who who received this vision from the Lord that he was going to see Jesus in the flesh. And when he did, it changed his world. And so did they wait? There were some who waited. There were some who were ready and seeking and looking. And as he looked, what are we called to do? To look to the coming of the day of the Lord. And while we look for the coming of the day of the Lord, what do we do? We remember the words that God has given us. That we walk in His statutes. That we walk in His judgments. That we love the appearing of the Lord. And when we love the appearing of the Lord, we'll be able to walk in peace in this life. Any other thoughts as we close tonight? Bruce? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. John the Baptist, yeah, no.
1: Moved, <laughs> yeah, which I think has a lot to do with his parents, who they were. Probably.
0: Definitely, so, yeah. That yeah, yeah. I, I I like the statement that, whatever time period you lived in, it was always an exciting time period to live in when it came to the things of the Lord. In the Old Testament, it was exciting because they, they were getting glimmers and pictures that we don't get today in the way that God gave them back then. In the New Testament, they had Jesus, right? They, they had him physically walking with them. What do we have today? We have the completed word of God and the spirit that dwells within us. And it's an exciting day to live as a Christian. Why? Because God's promise is going to come true. And whether it doesn't come true um, for 100 years or 1,000 years doesn't really matter because we believe that it's going to come true. And when it comes true, all those who had faith from every generation will be gathered together uh, as the people of God, singing the praises to God, as the Lamb who was slain sits on the throne, and we worship Him forever. I don't know about you, I'm excited about heaven. Um, and I love, I love the hope that Malachi gives of the future that we have waiting for us. So don't look at Malachi as a boring old guy, uh, prophet who, who is just a negative Nelly. Uh, but look at him as one who set the tone for the opening pages of the New Testament to be read. Look for the one who's coming. And that's what we do still to this day. All right, well, let's close on a word of prayer and we'll let you get out of here. God, we love you. And we thank you for this time that we can look to your word. And we pray, God, that as, as Malachi instructed these people in the Old Testament to look forward to the day, God, I pray that we would look forward to the day as well. God, I pray that, that we would desire to see the son of righteousness, that we would desire to experience the healing that he brings in his wings, that, that we would long for the day when all rights, all wrongs will be made right and everything will be made whole. But God, until that day, I pray that we'd walk in a way that reveals to the world that we have a hope that they don't yet have, but they can have if they come to faith in Christ. God, give us courage, give us boldness, help us to stay on course in the way that we raise our children, in the way that we handle ourselves in both our public and private lives, God, in the way that we worship. May we worship, may we live in a way that shows that we love the appearing of the Lord and we long for that day. We thank you for this book. I pray that we would glean what you would have us to glean from it, that you'd use it for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.